18 seconds left. Allen. Oh, he goes down. Oh, he gets, he gets back up and tosses it to McKenzie, who's trying to get to the sideline. Has to cut it back in and is tackled in bounds with seven seconds left. Ingram, the tackle. We're not Three, get this off. two, one. It's over. Dominance in the NFL is a funny, fragile thing, especially in September. Because for a couple weeks, you get to be perfect. You get to be invincible. You get to validate everybody who pegged you as the clear Super Bowl favorites. But then you wake up one day and your offensive coordinator is suddenly an animated GIF, endlessly ripping up his own offensive game plan on camera. And nothing seems to make sense anymore. So today... We asked Bill Barnwell to make us smarter about a Sunday that blew up the hierarchy at the very top of the NFL, thanks to upsets to Buffalo and Kansas City. And he tells us who the best team in the league suddenly is as a result. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Monday, September 26th. This is ESPN Daily. So, Bill Barnwell, there is a whole lot we got to hit here. The best team in the league just lost to a team that I am now just officially, formally, wildly impressed by, but still also very confused by at the same time. But I think you know where we do need to start. Where's that? I mean, at the top here, Bill, we clearly need to hit one specific bottom. Morstead is in the punt. He's standing just inside the end zone. That's how deep he is. The line of scrimmage isn't even the one. Fourth down, Jamison Crowder, the return man for Buffalo. Bills are out of timeouts. The snap to Morstead. This kick is partially blocked high into the air. The Bills, it'll sail out the back of the end zone. It's a safety. It's a safety. And the Bills had two on the board. He kicked it right off of the butt of his personal protector, Sherfield. The guy standing right in front of him. Pablo... We know what the personal protector does. He protects the punter. Yeah. Today we realize, Pablo, who protects the personal protector (laughs) from the punter? Who protects the personal protector's personal protector, which I think is your butt, incidentally. And and, and so the butt punt, Bill. I mean, this was a safety with 93 seconds left. It it, it felt like a clenching (laughs) in Miami when it happened. Like, of course this matters. Of course this is a plot point. Of course this is how the Dolphins lose to the Bills now. This is how the biggest win of the weekend gets squandered. Like a real Chekhov's butt punt scenario. Uh, But no, the Dolphins just held on to win 21 to 19. And so the entire back end of this game, what did that look like to you? you? Do you have them all out of your system now? Yeah, all systems now clear. So it really was fascinating because this was a scenario where the the butt punt did significantly hurt the Dolphins' chances of winning this game. They had a four-point lead with 93 seconds left to go. So what they needed to do was just punt the ball as far as possible and play defense and prevent the Bills from scoring a touchdown, which they had done successfully on the prior drive. But... Not, not a pun, but... <laughs> I don't believe you, but continue. Fair. When you take that safety, which was not intentional, the opposite of an intentional safety in so many ways, <laughs> once you take that safety, now the Bills, instead of needing a touchdown to win the game, only needed a field goal now 
to take home their third victory of the season. After an excellent free kick from Thomas Morstead, the Bills only got to about midfield, at which point they seemed to melt down on and off of the turf. Yeah, what we saw on the field was the clock ticking down and down and down, and there were no timeouts left. And so Josh Allen could not even get the ball in time to, to, to spike it such that they could attempt the field goal to win the game. And off the field, up in the booth, how would you describe what we saw the offensive coordinator of the Bills, Ken Dorsey, doing in that little box up there? I would characterize Ken Dorsey as having a almost militant level of aggression towards a Microsoft (laughs) surface, which granted in the NFL, we have seen plenty of quarterbacks and coaches spike these tablets before we have Ken Dorsey appeared to have a grudge for decades on this one Microsoft surface and tried to destroy it with multiple attacks before. And again, this was also several moments too late for the bills organization an innocent Bill Stafford decided to put his hand in front of the camera as if Ken Dorsey had not been uh, trying to basically hit several wrestling finishing moves on this Microsoft Surface over the prior 15 seconds. And by the way, God bless that Stafford or the palm of that Stafford because as opposed to actually like putting a stop to this, it just gave us the perfect like end scene out of a meme that is now going to haunt Ken Dorsey for all time. Yes, and haunt Bills fans, I think, because this game could come back to haunt Buffalo. Mm. Uh, This was a winnable game for the Bills. And even before that final possession, Pablo, they were very sloppy. Not only Pablo did their drive at the end of the second half end without the opportunity to score, but their drive at the end of the first half ended on the Miami 34-yard line when Josh Allen fumbled the snap, attempted the classic Dan Marino fake spike, and could not Mm. get the ball set up for a possible field goal try. And the Bills missed a field goal. They were two for four in the red zone, whereas the Dolphins, who did not do very much in this game on offense, went three for three in the red zone. But at the end of the day, the difference between these two teams is the Dolphins took advantage of their opportunities, as few as they were, and the Bills, as impressive as they were on offense for most of this contest, just let a lot of opportunities slip through their hands. Yeah, I mean, Josh Allen threw for 400 yards, threw the ball 63 times for the record also. But this offense, Bill, was so transcended that they had not faced a third and 10 this season until the second quarter of this game, right? And so now you have, I think, a question that other coordinators and other booths with their equipment still intact and fans around the league too, I think they're all asking like, so is this how you beat Josh Allen then? Like it seemed like an impossible task through two weeks And now there's this premise that maybe this is a blueprint. And so what would you say to that? Pablo, are are you suggesting that different organizations should try and bait Ken Dorsey with Microsoft Surface tablets for him to attack (laughs) in various media boxes around the NFL? Because teams have done stranger things before. What I will say is this. When it comes to the Bills, when it comes to emulating this formula I would be a little skeptical because I think part of this, it's not just how the Dolphins played, which was very well, but on top of that, the Bills were just banged up with so many injuries right now. And granted, some of those guys are gone for the year. Micah Hyde, their star safety, is done for the season. His teammate, Jordan Poyer, was out for this game. One of those two safeties has been on the field for more than 97% of the snaps since Sean McDermott got to Buffalo. And that duo, probably the best in football, according to many, including myself, is now broken up for the remainder of the season. 
Mm. On top of that in this game, Pablo, Tredavious White was on injured reserve. Their star cornerback, Dane Jackson, another one of their starting corners, was out. They were starting rookie sixth-rounder Christian Benford, who hurt his hand in this game and was replaced by an undrafted rookie in Jamarcus Ingram against Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, <laughs> the, the people who destroyed a banged-up Ravens secondary. Last week, they were down their top two defensive tackles, their starting center, they, their starting right tackle, left with a heat illness and did not return, and Stephon Diggs, their star wide receiver, was cramping up throughout the second half. I mean, yes, the Bills are a very deep football team, probably the deepest in football on paper, but at some point when you have this many injuries, you're going to feel the effects of it. And maybe it'd be one thing if the Bills were dealing with these injuries in December when everybody's hurt, but the Bills are banged up in September, which is worrying not only for what they have to do over the next few weeks, but also for the remainder of their chances throughout the regular season. And so if this is how you end up squandering the fact that you've outgained the Dolphins, 497 yards to 212, you possess the ball over 40 minutes, the Dolphins possess it for under 20 minutes. If injuries help explain that story, I do need help with explaining what is up with Tua, Bill. I mean, Josh Allen had this x-ray on his hand. He was also banged up. He said he was fine after the game. But Tua, I mean, what we saw at the end of the first half here, right? Where he gets hit, he falls backwards, he hits, his, he hits the back of his head on the ground, and then he gets back up and begins to walk, but then stumbles to the ground suddenly, catching himself with both hands, resulting, of course, in the concussion protocol, meaning that, okay, we figure he's done for the day, but instead he starts and finishes the second half, as we saw. Yes. Right, what do we know about what really happened here as we sit here on Sunday night? Okay. So according to... Not only Mike McDaniel, the Dolphins' head coach, but also Tua Tango-Vailoa himself, they've both said that Tua did not suffer a head injury on that play. They both suggested that Tua was dealing with a back injury, which he, according to them, suffered initially during a quarterback sneak attempt earlier in the game, and that the back injury flared up further on that hit by Buffalo's Matt Milano, which led to the instability. Now... Is that true? I, I understand that people would be skeptical. I'm yep. not going to lie, a little skeptical myself. But whenever a player, and this is per the NFL's guidelines, demonstrates gross or sustained vertical instability, including stumbling or falling while trying to stand, which clearly Tango Fialoa was demonstrating here, that player has to go back and go through the concussion testing protocol. That testing is done by a team physician and a unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant. And if a player demonstrates that instability, and then, and this is perhaps deliberately vague on the NFL's term, the combination of the team physician and unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant believe that that instability is neurologically caused, the player is not allowed to go back into the game. So if you take what the Dolphins are saying at face value, Tango Vailoa suffered a back injury, demonstrated this instability, had to go through the testing, went through the testing, passed the testing, and then came back into the game during the second half. Whether you want to believe that or not is something I cannot decide for you. And look, obviously, you can imagine Tua, any football player, wanting to stay in the game, wanting to play in a game, especially one this huge. But the other people who have questions about this, Bill, about these protocols and what really happened here seem to work for the NFLPA, who have announced that they're launching an investigation into this because it was so visually egregious to watch unfold on television. Yes, and they have the right to do that with the NFL per the most recent CBA. 
And so as Bills fans try to put all of this behind them, as it were, we are left with a question, right? Given how Tua looked, and, and by the way, like for all of the protocol questions, it was objectively impressive what he did finishing the game, playing as he did. Um, we're left with the question of like, are the Dolphins now just the best team in the NFL, Bill? Is this how it works now? No, they are not the best team in the NFL, Papa. I'll answer that question quickly. <laughs> but this was an impressive performance. They slowed down the Bills on offense. And even though they didn't have the huge shot plays we saw from them against the Ravens in week two, Tua was effective. We saw both these defenses adopt plenty of two high looks, the classic trope to take away the big plays we've seen from teams around the NFL. And Tua did a better job of attacking too high than Josh Allen did. Josh was 23 of 36 for 206, an 88.4 passer rating. While Tua Tango-Vailoa was 8 of 11 for 100 yards and a touchdown and a passer rating of 130.9 against the Bills' two high looks. So mm. I don't want to say that Tua is mastering the metagame in a way that Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes is not. But <laughs> at the very least, we've seen that the Dolphins can win a game against a very good football team that is trying to take away the big plays we saw from them in week two. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to satisfy Tua Non. Uh, just to be very blunt with you, Bill, I'm a little afraid to be on this podcast with you right now. Tua Non, very focused on the metagame. But <laughs> maybe we can distract them with more butt jokes. And on that note, Bill, we leave the Bills and the Dolphins in our rear view and we get to everything else that happened in an increasingly interesting AFC. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So, Bill, there is a world in which I segue to Lamar Jackson by talking about how he was the person who infamously ran off the field to poop. Something we investigated on this podcast, but no, I'm growing. And instead, I will just merely mention that Lamar Jackson and the Ravens just beat down the Patriots. And Lamar had four touchdowns through the year, went on the ground. He now has the most passing touchdowns in the league. He has the highest passer rating in the league. He is apparently third in rushing yards also. So in this 37-26 win at Foxborough, what is Lamar Jackson, who wanted a new contract from Baltimore but did not get one to his satisfaction, looking like to you right now? This looks like the ultimate contract year from a player who might be one of the two or three most important players at any position in the NFL right now. He's just everything to this Ravens offense. They're throwing at one of the highest rates in football, and Lamar has been incredibly efficient, despite, by the way, not really having very much at wide receiver. On Sunday against a Patriots defense in Bill Belichick, that has done such a great job in years past of slowing down offenses that have one-star tight end and little else in the passing game, Lamar was 18 of 29 for 218 yards with four touchdowns 
on Sunday, averaging nearly eight yards per attempt. And that, Pablo, would be enough. But on top of that, Lamar is almost the entirety of this Ravens rushing attack. Right. We finally, finally saw some signs of life from Baltimore's running backs with Justice Hill and the returning J.K. Dobbins on Sunday. But even with that included, Baltimore's running backs are averaging 3.6 yards per carry so far this season. Lamar had 119 yards and a touchdown last week. And this week, he had 11 carries for 107 yards and another touchdown. The defense is banged up and struggling, as we saw against the Dolphins. The running game has been inconsistent outside of Lamar. Jackson's carrying as much of the load for this team as any player is for their team in football right now. And good news for the Bills. Um, you get Lamar <laughs> in Baltimore next week, incidentally. But the other quarterback who we saw, it, it seemed like cosplay as Lamar Jackson. Yes. Bill, like kind of in the way that if you drink enough around someone with an accent, you just start to try on that accent. It felt like we saw Mac Jones do some of that in this game. Here's Jones, shotgun, empty backfield, second and three. He'll pull it down and run and take it in for the New England touchdown. Three-yard touchdown run for Mac Jones. But then post-game, we get this report from Greg Bedard, who said that the Patriots quarterback got carried downstairs to the locker room screaming in pain, and this was the result of an ankle injury. So how scary is all of this for the Pats? This Patriots team is not prepared to lose Mac Jones for any significant length of time. And when you hear about a player screaming in pain as they're walking down the stairs, no disrespect to Mac Jones, who I'm sure is a very tough player, but that usually indicates a pretty serious injury. Brian Hoyer is the primary backup for the Patriots, who get the Packers next week. It's not exactly mm. a lesser competition after playing the Ravens this week. Even though Mac Jones did throw three interceptions, in this loss to the Ravens, we saw him make some impressive throws. He seemed to form a previously unfound connection with new Patriots wide receiver Devontae Parker, who had over 150 yards receiving. And on top of that, as you mentioned, Pablo, Jones was creating opportunities as a runner in this game. So he's becoming more and more a focal point of the Patriots offense. Yeah. But given how the defense played against Lamar Jackson and given how they might play against Aaron Rodgers next week, it's tough to count on the defense to hold up their end of the bargain the way they did maybe a year ago when Jones was a rookie. I want to move us now to the other AFC contender that lost today, Bill, because the Chiefs were a Super Bowl favorite. They were upset by the Colts 20-17. to 17, And the Colts are a team, if you had forgotten, that had tied the Texans, gotten shut out by the Jags last week, and now suddenly have this season that is alive. So how did they pull this off against Patrick Mahomes? Football's stupid, Pablo. I mean, <laughs> why, why? You shouldn't be able to get shot finally, out by the Jags and then finally we get to football is stupid and then beat the Chiefs the following week. But that's exactly what happened here. And I don't want to take too much away from the Colts who played a good game, who were very stout on defense, who are a better team, frankly, than they looked during the first two weeks of the season. But this was a game where the Chiefs sort of shot themselves in the foot five or six times. They were extremely sloppy, especially on special teams, where Sky Moore, their rookie wide receiver, muffed a punt and gave the Colts a short field for one of their two touchdowns. Sky Moore fumbles it at the five, loses track of the ball, and the Colts look like they've got it inside the five at the four. Their replacement kicker, Matt Amendola, in for the injured Harrison Butker missed an extra point and a 34-yard field goal. Placement is down. Amendola's kick is up, and he pulls it wide to the left. The same side of the field, he missed the PAT, and that thing wasn't even close, Danon. The Chiefs, perhaps, maybe not 
all that confident in their backup kicker, attempted a fake field goal, and it went about as poorly as an Andy Reid fake field goal can go. Mm. Indy's other touchdown in this game came on a drive where it wasn't the special teams, but the defense. The Chiefs sacked Matt Ryan to set up what looked like a punt on 4th and 14, but Chris Jones, their star defensive tackle, was flagged for unsportsmanlike conduct for using abusive language towards an opponent to extend the drive. Man. And when the opponent is Matt Ryan, you know it was a really mean old joke. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, but the question that we're left with is just like, is this a thing that other teams can do to the Chiefs as well? Is this now a blueprint, Bill? I don't think so. The Chiefs normally have very good special teams, Pablo. And on top of that, the one thing that maybe teams can do is force them to be one-dimensional because the Chiefs tried to run the ball in this game and they failed miserably. Their halfbacks ran the ball 17 times. They gained one first down. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, their starting running back, had seven carries for zero yards. So other teams can stop the running game, but unless you're counting on a bunch of missed field goals and getting Chris Jones to say something mean at a key moment, <laughs> probably not going to be something you can keep up week after week. And so the AFC West, this group of death, as we had dubbed it, it looks like this, right? The Chiefs lose, the Chargers lose, big to the Jaguars, and the Raiders. The Raiders do seem like they are essentially done right now, Bill. Or at least that's the feeling I get after they lose to the Titans 24-22 to and start the season 0-3. And the Raiders, I mean, they had lots of chances also to win this game, right? Lots of chips to the red zone, very little success. And so when you have a coach that is held up for the post-game presser in Josh McDaniels, because he had a lengthy closed-door meeting, according to our Paul Gutierrez, with the owner of the team, Mark Davis, what is this signaling to you? Pablo, first, you have to remember, Mark Davis takes most of his meetings in a P.F. Chang's. So <laughs> that is an open-door meeting. To have a closed-door meeting after a game, you know Mark Davis is not happy. Yeah, no appetizers in this one. Only Singapore street noodles of shame. No lettuce wraps for Josh McDaniels until no. the Raiders pull out a close game, which is so ironic, Pablo, because last year, that's how the Raiders made it to the postseason. They were 7-2 and two in games decided by 7 points or less. They made it to the playoffs because they won their final 4 games of the year all by 4 points or less. Mm. They're now 0-3 in games decided by 7 points or less this year. The same games they won a year ago when they went 4-0 and in overtime and pulled out a bunch of games with last second field goals. They're not winning this year. Derek Carr was strip-sacked on their final drive in Week 1. They allowed about a half dozen 4th down conversions and 2-point conversions to Kyler Murray in week two before fumbling the game away in overtime. And now they failed on a two-pointer in week three, which would have tied the game. And so if you're a betting man, Bill, what are you doing with the Raiders at this point? I would save my money for a delicious P.F. Chang's gift card, Pablo, because <laughs> you're not going to be winning if you're betting on the Raiders to make it to the postseason here. If you look at history, going back through 2002, it's a bit of a stretch because 16-game schedule 12-team playoffs now, 17-game schedule, 14-team playoff. But 98 teams have started 0-3 before this season. One of them made the playoffs in reality, and a second team would have made it if there had been a 14-team playoff that year. So a little over 2% chance of making it to the playoffs for a team that went out and traded for Devontae Adams and signed Chandler Jones and expected to win immediately after hiring Josh McDaniels. So, so you're saying, Bill, there's a chance. 
There's a better chance of us getting out of this show without any more butt jokes than there is of the Raiders making it to the postseason. Yeah, if it's not clear to you now, by the way, listener, this is absolutely not P.F. Chang-sponsored content. But coming up, we get to our dessert. We get to the banana spring rolls of this episode. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So, Bill, we've spent a lot of time talking about the AFC in this episode. And the thing that's happening in the NFC that I want to talk to you about does not involve Aaron Rodgers, does not involve Tom Brady. It doesn't involve the Giants, by the way, who, with all due respect to them, are playing on Monday night, have not lost yet either. But the only two 3-0 teams in the NFL are the aforementioned Dolphins and the Philadelphia Eagles, who just demolished the Commanders in Maryland 24-8. So what are these Eagles to you as we sit here right now? I think they've inherited the most dangerous title in football, which is that they're probably the best team in the league. Mm. I don't think there's really any other candidates besides maybe the Dolphins. They have been overwhelming teams through three weeks on both sides of the football. And Benjamin Solak of the Ringer has the killer stat here. They've averaged more than 21 points per second quarter this season. The best team of the last 20 years scoring during the second quarter are the 2007 Patriots, the Tom Brady, Randy Moss Patriots, who didn't even average 12 points per second quarter. They didn't do much in the second half of this game once they took their foot off the gas. But Jalen Hurts had 279 passing yards and three touchdowns against the Commanders by halftime. They weren't effective running the football, but Hurts was averaging nearly 10 yards per pass. It doesn't matter if you aren't able to run the football. This was a team last year that, remember, in that Buccaneers loss in the postseason, was very one-sided, that really did not have a solution once they faced a great run defense. Right, and now Jalen Hurts is playing like he is from another dimension, which does provide that other dimension this offense needed. And at this point, their running game is secondary to what they can do as a passing attack. And on top of that, the defense, which was almost a meme in Philadelphia last year for being so conservative and so disappointing, it's been excellent. The Lions did score 35 points in the opener, but a lot of that came when they were down multiple scores in the fourth quarter. Since then... They've allowed seven points to the Vikings and now six on offense to the Commanders, who did tack on a safety to get to eight. 
they sacked Carson Wentz nine times, held him to 24 passing yards through halftime, and didn't allow a single drive of more than 25 yards before garbage time in the fourth quarter. Now, nominally, yes, the Eagles are the best team in football on both sides of the ball, which means they are guaranteed to lose next week. (laughs) But they get the Jaguars next week, who might be the number one team in the league by some advanced metrics after blowing out the Chargers. So that means the Jaguars would become the best team in football. Yeah, hearing you say that about the Jaguars should make everybody, I think, who did any amount of research into this season feel like Ken Dorsey handling his paperwork. Once upon a time, the Eagles and their fans were devoted to the duo of Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson as their quarterback and head coach of the future. Yeah. They traded Carson Wentz and just beat him up this week. They fired Doug Peterson and now get to play their former coach, who's now the head coach of the Jaguars, this upcoming week. And the winner will be called the best team in football and will never lose again for the remainder of the season. Yeah, I'm not ready for a world in which the Jaguars might plausibly actually be that, Bill. Pablo, 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 before the year in my award-winning column, I think I won an award somewhere, on the five teams most likely (laughs) to improve in 2022, the Jacksonville Jaguars were on that list. So I'm going to take credit for all of their success for the upcoming season. Yeah, Bill Barnwell, thank you for proving conclusively that the NFL is stupid. Good thing I've devoted my life to it, Pablo. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And I'll talk to you tomorrow.